Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) It's time to vote. And no, I don't mean to get all political. It's time to vote on the three themes that will launch the other stories into the new year like the flaming, decapitated demon head that it is. We have over 20 themes in the poll, including haunted hotels, folk tales, parallel universes, alt history, and even dragons. Plus, a boatload more. So if you want to have your voice heard and help pick the new themes of the other stories, then head over and join the Facebook group now. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. Anderson. Written by Dan Howarth. Narrated by Justin Fife. You were right. Susan's breath is hot and smells of stale tea as she whispers into my ear. Her voice quavers like an opera singer as she speaks. Sweat lingers in the air, deep beneath her scent of soap. I haven't washed for days. Rationing has its benefits. I catch a waft of something else, putrid and thick, that sticks in my throat. There are no lights on in the street, or down here in the shelter. Full blackout protocol being observed. Moonlight creeps in under the door, showing me the outline of objects close by, but nothing more than that. In the dim light, Susan grips my shoulder. Her fingers dig like talons into the muscles. I feel myself whimper, but fall silent as I hear heavy breathing somewhere behind us. The rhythmic sound of snoring. Susan scrabbles at me again, almost climbing into my lap. In the black of the shelter, I turn around. Spinning as quietly as I can and putting my hand over her mouth. 
I lean in and speak directly into her ear. Don't wake it. With my palm pressed tightly against her lips, she nods. When I pull my hand away, it's clammy with moisture from her top lip. I stare into the blackness, squinting, straining for the detail, but darkness hangs like a curtain over the far end of the shelter, and I can't see anything. Somewhere inside me, I feel my pride swell because I was right. I'm not the stupid little boy that my sister always thought I was, but I chew it back down because our lives are in danger in more ways than one. An air raid siren moans through the silence, the mournful call announcing the arrival of our enemies. Straining, I listen for the whine of airplane motors. Every sinew in my body is tense, waiting for the scream of Messerschmitt engines and the deep rumble of bombers that follow behind. Susan's touch on my arm panics me, shaking me from my concentration. Where are mom and dad? She murmurs her lips so close to my ear that it feels as though she's speaking into my brain. I turn my head to place my lips near her ear. Don't know. They said they would be right back. What are we going to do? And like that, I'm 14 again. I'm not brave or strong or a great soldier. I I don't know. I feel rather than see her slump back against the corrugated metal wall of the shelter. The metal sings the impact, and I tense again, bracing myself. Susan sucks in a quick breath and holds it. The steady sound of snoring, thick and guttural, continues. I rack my brain, trying to recollect all my memories into one place. So much has happened in the last few months, so much change. The whole world has been turned upside down by that crazy Hun Hitler and his war. I've seen things I've never wanted to see and things I never thought I would, all from the comfort of my own bedroom window. sat in the window. Blackout curtains draped around me and watched as German bombers fly over our house, over the River Mersey and bomb Liverpool flat. Night after night, I've seen the fire dance through the streets of the city, garish illuminations lighting up the barrage balloons and smoldering walls of the factories. I've watched ships burn at the dock and sink without a trace. I've sat and watched. Wondering when the fucking Germans will start on Birkenhead, on our side of the water. I've watched and waited for the day they burn the shipyard where Dad works and worried about whether he was going to come home. We can only be lucky for so long. Maybe tonight is the night. Worst of all, I've watched something dark and inexplicable loom through the back gardens and the alleyways of my town. I've watched its predatory movements as it stalks its prey. I've watched it take shelter for the night in our Anderson shelter. I've been laughed at and cast aside for saying this out loud. And now, here we are. She believes me now. The back door to the house closes with a slam, and I hear the muted slap of footsteps over the lawn. 
the tap of shoes descending concrete steps. A rattle at the corrugated metal door. The screech of hinges. I wince at the noise, frozen as two silhouettes skirt through the narrow opening and into the shelter. Standing up, I grasp both of their hands as they stand, bent almost double in the middle of the shelter. Dad's hand is calloused from his work. Mum's dry and warm and soft. Shh. Why are we shushing? Asks Dad in a whisper. I don't think the Germans can hear us. It's not about the Germans. There's something else. What else? Asks Mum. Where are the candles? Let's get them lit. Please, don't, says Susan, her voice high and quivering despite its low volume. Come closer, I say, pulling them both down by the hand so that I can sit down on the bench by the door again. They end up kneeling on the dirt floor in front of me. There's something in here. What do you mean, someone in here? This is all shelter, Dad says his voice taking on the same tone it does when he's been to the pub after a shift. Something, Susan hisses. I've seen it, I say. Not this again. Mom is struggling to keep the volume and the annoyance of her voice under control. Shh, I say. Just listen. The siren howls again, its pitch low to high. A distant whine of motors accompanies it now, like the buzzing of a mosquito. And as the wail of sirens fade away, the snoring continues its rhythm. The whistle of air through teeth, flared nostrils exhaling noisily. What is that? Dad asks, his voice quieter than before. I don't know. I saw it coming here a few nights ago. Why didn't you say something? I did. You told me to go back to bed. What is it? I take a moment to think about how best to describe it. Uh, I don't know. Some sort of animal. It's tall. Taller than you. It walks on two legs, hunched over. I think it had black fur and a snout. It has horns coming out the top of its head. Tall. Thin, they look sharp. I swallow. The way it walked, the way its hands hooked down. I shudder in the darkness, and nobody sees. We don't speak for a few minutes. The whining of engines gets louder, closer. They're as loud as the snoring now, but they will soon be louder. Whatever is asleep won't be asleep for long. We've got to do something, Dad says, his voice set like stone. Go back into the house. Even in the darkness, I can feel the rage in Dad's gaze at Mom's suggestion. The night is alive with engines and sirens. The house isn't an option. The only way to stay safe is to stay here. Or it was. We need some light to be able to do anything. Dad says, before I feel him move away in the darkness, scrabbling around like a blind man. Help me look! He hisses at us, and then we are all groping our way around inside the shelter. I flinch as my arm hits a shelf, and tins clatter to the dirt floor with distant metallic clunks. 
outside the whine of the Measuresmith engines, has been joined by the low rumble of the bombers. A hideous choir of noise punctuated by the muted bang of explosives. The ground beneath my feet vibrates. I crane my neck, straining to hear the snoring, but I can't hear anything but the battle for the skies above us. A staccato burst of artillery fire rises up from one of the anti-aircraft guns near the docks and then falls into silence. Got them, Dad says. We gather round him and I'm swiveling my head, trying to spot movement in the darkness. Everybody take two. Candles are thrust into my hands. My shoulders rub against my sister and mother and their breathing fills my ears. The scent of sweat and dirt and metal. And something else. The tinge of burning. Fire and gunpowder drifting into my mind through the gap in the door. Another thumping explosion. This one much closer. The shelter shakes and I hear soil shifting around us before it settles again. Orange light pours through the gap in the doorway. Dancing yellows and reds. Flames alive nearby. Dad strikes the matches, and they fizzle, too bright to look at in the blackness of the shelter. He lights each of our candles, and with every wick that hisses into life, the shelter growing brighter with every candle. Dad snatches up two of his own, lighting them and putting them in jars on the shelves behind him. As he steps to one side, I see it, crouched in the corner of the shelter, on a single bed at the far end. It's covered in black fur, long nails curl from its fingers shining brown and tarnished like old brass in the candlelight. Short horns protrude from its head, coated in a liquid so dark it might be black. Its face is pinched, sharp features, a crooked, protruding nose. Dad spins around and sees it. I hear him exhale, and it sounds like the life is draining from him. He reaches under the shelf and pulls down a wooden baton that he keeps for protection and a can of tinned vegetables. My insides feel as though they are melting. Another explosion. The whole shelter shakes, and I feel the earth move beneath my feet as though I'm walking on the deck of a ship. Everyone wobbles before regaining their balance. On the bed, the creature lifts its head and opens its black eyes. Black pools like empty holes in its face. A spark of intelligence. Then its features turn up. Its mouth is a gash of needle-sharp teeth and a vivid red tongue. Run! Dad has time to say before it stands up on the bed, hunched in the cramped confines of the shelter, its frame bony but lined with strings of muscle. I try to shout, but the words jumble into one in my throat, and I stand, just watching this thing as it looks at us all. Come on! Mom drags me by the collar towards the door. Dad turns to come with us. The can and wooden baton drop to the floor. The thing shrieks, and something inside me dies at the sound. An old sound. One that was surely never meant for human ears. It coils itself and springs forward, grasping Dad from behind and dragging him to the floor. He screams, his face pressed into the dirt as the creature's nails dig into his shoulder and the back of his neck. I can see deep claret blood soak into his shirt and drip into his cheeks. He thrashes, his eyes staring up at me. 
Wild and white, they roll in their sockets and clothes as he screams again. I turn and run. Susan and Mom stand in the doorway of the shelter. The corrugated door is halfway open and the night air spills in, bringing reality to the situation. I take a final look back to see the creature tearing at Dad's neck as he lies limp and pale on the floor of the shelter. It looks up at me, a grin across its features, slathered in blood, and a look in its eyes that tell me one kill isn't enough. It will never be enough. I push Mother and Susan out into the garden and slam the shelter door shut. The metallic clang of metal on metal is replaced by another sound. The whistling of something heavy falling to the earth. I look up into the night sky and see it coming down. Movement of black on black. A shell bigger than I am, bigger than I will ever live to be, coming closer and closer. A hundred miles an hour, nose down towards our house. I flinch and I pray, not for my soul or for those of my family, but that this bomb blows the shelter to bits and takes that creature back down to the hell I am surely heading to. After the explosion, there is nothing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Anderson was written by Dan Howarth, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Mayu and Tom Robson. Once again, it's time to vote. And no, we're not talking all political here. It's time to vote on the three themes that will launch The Other Stories into the new year like the flaming decapitated demon head that it is. We have over 20 themes available in the poll to choose from, including haunted hotels, folk tales, parallel universes, alternative history, and dragons, and a boatload more. So if you want to have your voice heard and help pick the new themes of the show, then head over and join the Facebook group today. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. Until next time. 